0: Welcome to the Derelict Thoughts podcast, episode number one, recorded June 11th, 2023. The topic is artificial intelligence, specifically the new large language models, their capacities and capabilities, whether or not they're hype or actually a new breakthrough. And then we also talk a little bit about possible impacts, dangers, and threats. So hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Derek James, and I'm here with your co-host, with my co-host, Philip Tucker. How are you doing, Philip? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine. This is our first podcast. We'll see how it goes. So today we're going to talk about AI, specifically large language models and... I kind of want to talk about whether the hype is hype, but like the capacities of these things, the dangers of these things. We're both, we worked on um, neural network, both kind of hobbies. I mean, Philip is a, well, he's sort of retired, semi-retired now, but uh, a professional software developer. I'm not, but uh, I have some background, but we worked on uh, some on AI projects in the past involving neural networks and things like that. So we're not complete noobs, but um, we're certainly not complete experts either but anyway so did you have any initial thoughts before we jump in It's like talking about what these things can do that's different than what they could do when than what any ai or any computer system could do uh, like a year ago or before
1: or? yeah well i i think we're both at agreement that the release of chat gpt's in particular or maybe a mix of that and dally but basically the things that have kind of come out the last i don't know was that three or four months ago where they really started going Right. Well,
0: ChatGPT was released in, uh, in November of 2022. GPT-4 was released, I think, in March of 2023. Okay, so so three year. to six
1: months ago, like it seemed mm-hmm. like things <clears throat> took a significant leap over what we had seen before, and like we and a lot of other you know experts that have been talking about it are like considering this like a seminal moment in, um, in the development of artificial intelligence.
0: Yes. So it's, and then a lot of critics view it as <laughs> a same old, same old people, people fool it, being fooled by their biases and their, the linguistic, right. emotional capabilities. It's just, an
1: it's just like a fancier autocomplete <clears throat> or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, they use the term, I see the term stochastic parrot as well. But uh, so let's, yeah, so let's go through and talk about, I made a list of some of the capacities f- from me, you know, just experimenting with a system that to me seem not sort of things you would want to just explain away or diminish or minimize as you know sequence to sequence token generation or something so first of all these systems the new llms at least the closed source the open source ones i i don't think they're as They're anywhere quite near the competency. I hear that they're catching up, but here I'm generally talking about GPT-4 and ChatGPT. Anyway, the first one I have is adult um, human-level fluency in pretty much every human language. Now, ChatGPT will say it's fluent in something like eight or nine languages, but it's pretty clear you can basically train a system, a transformer that size, transformer system of that size, and get you know fluent, complete fluency in a human language, which. We've never seen before. Now, I had experimented around with uh, GPT two, and it was definitely not. It was not going to fool you anytime soon. Like it would have, <clears throat> it would produce sentences that sounded more. The distinction to me is a distinction between the main distinction, the qualitative distinction, is one between semantics and most other aspects of language, uh, syntax and grammar, and a lot of the rules around it. Because it would. Uh, it would almost always produce sentences that sounded like the right parts of speech were in the right place. The clauses were well formed, but they didn't make sense. Like the semantics of the, the words that were used individually in that part of the sentence and the sentence as a whole often didn't make sense. And I was reminded of uh, Chomsky's famous sentence, the uh, colorless green dreams sleep furiously or whatever. I think that's it. That sounds like an English sentence, but it doesn't make any sense, All Right. right?
1: Yeah, I've been struck, so anyway. like, for all of the flaws and critiques of ChatGPT. Like, most of them are around it making, like, that, like logical errors or, like, hallucinating. But, like, it always sounds natural. Like, it always sounds like you're talking to another human. Like, it's it's very conversational. It's, you know, it the kinds of mistakes it makes tend to be the kinds of mistakes that humans make. At least from, you know, my usage of it. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it's... Which, I mean... Makes sense because it was trained on like gobs and gobs of sentences that were actual humans spoke, but yeah, it is very natural sounding. Like it, it, it really, really sounds like you're speaking to another human.
0: Right. Well, but it's not just like it had. Na- it's nailed the grammar and the syntax, which it had already done in previous versions, I think, pretty well. But now it's got the. Sem- to me, now it's got the semantics. Now it's using the right words in the right ways, and it's got. If it doesn't have explicit representations of Of words like like elephant or something like that, like it is acting, it is behaving, it is producing output as if it does right. That it understands what an elephant is in not just in some superficial way, but like its size, its its behavior,
1: like every idioms that it's used with, the fact that it represents like long memory and like you know like all the sort of metaphors associated with it, right.
0: Right. All of the semantic structure of the elephant, not just that it's a noun and an animal and, you know, could take a place of a noun or an animal in a sentence and you'd still have a sort of a legal sentence. But it's it's speaks as if it knows what an elephant is the vast majority of the time. That's not perfect. But anyway, so, yes, human level fluency uh in uh human language uh so i have number two i have near perfect comprehension of every human language so even if even when it makes a mistake producing an an output it's normally not a function of not understanding the input it just under it it rarely it rarely generates a response that is not consistent with the input no matter how ambiguous well, I would say not no matter how ambiguous, but even with very ambiguous input. I mean, you can try lots of different st- structures of uh, variance on a given question, and it, I have yet to see it really, like, completely misunderstand, quote-unquote. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the only uh, stuff I've uh, seen it, it, it. Like,
1: just, like, balk at is, like, basically the um, the disabilities that they built into it so it doesn't, you know, respond to you with, like, racist right, stuff right, or whatever. Right. Um, but it, <clears throat> Yeah, as long as you're asking something that is it is allowed to answer, it almost always understands what you're talking about.
0: And that's not a failure of comprehension; like it's comprehending oh, right. that it's something that's well. Not I mean, in the fact, the, about, the right? fact that it
1: understands not only <laughs> everything it knows, but the things that it knows that it's not supposed to share with you is like almost more impressive than some of the other stuff, right? Like that it it has been trained to self-edit pretty well,
0: right? Which is annoying in on the one hand, but completely understandable for. Um, public facing you know large yeah. scale deployed, well especially at this point too where uh, they're system.
1: just sort of announcing it to the world and like it yeah they, i'm sure pr is one of their big issues yeah, they're right not now. just
0: announcing it they're they've open-faced it to the world which <laughs> we can talk about whether that was a good idea or not but anyway so i put basic competency number three basic competency in every computer language or just about every computer language i don't know we had talked about this kind of before I was putting it sort of at the level of like a high school student, but I think you were giving it more credit than that. Maybe a college level.
1: Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I would say at least high school or, yeah, like early, like, I mean, it produces, like, one of the things that convi- that it impressed me was that not it, not, it didn't just produce like a, you know, functionally the correct thing, but like it actually produced like readable, what looked like pretty maintainable code. Like that you could actually, like it was human readable, it was, you know, it was kind of laid out well, um, which if you're actually building a system that you want to maintain is more important than just building something that works once, but then like you can't parse it.
0: Right. And I, I have not, I've used it a little, just a tiny bit for coding, but from what I'm hearing from people, it's, I mean, it, it, it's very, very good at doing a lot of sort of the grunt work documentation you know, very, very repetitive, simple things that would take up your time and free you, you know, it basically would, you know, I've seen claims of making, uh, like, a senior developer anywhere from 2x to 10x more efficient. I don't know. I can't really speak to that. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's... Uh, Assuming that's talking only about coding, I, I could buy that. I mean... One thing you learn as a software engineer is, like, the, the more senior you get, the less time you actually spend coding. You do a lot more time, like, design or communicating, coordinating things between teams. So, like,
0: like all this like, oh, you
1: know, it's it's going to replace software engineers. It might just replace just code. Like people who, like, only code for their job, it might replace them, which is, you know, still not insignificant. But, like, there's a lot more to, like, actually engineering a system than writing code. Well, I've seen
0: discussions of design as well, like if you um I've seen outputs of where people have put in they describe the project they want, they describe the specs, and obviously the better you do that, um the better your output's going to be. But uh and also sort of uh outlining the possible tools that can be used. Like yeah, it's not it doesn't just yeah. code either though. Like it does a lot of the stuff around the complete. Yeah, well, I'm sure it'll get there eventually. Right? So. But
1: the most of the stuff that I've read specifically about, sort of like the doom of like, oh, the jobs it's going to replace. One of the things that I often brings up hmm. early is coding and like, or software engineering, or just computer programming in general. But i i haven't I haven't seen a discussion of that yet that actually like breaks down all the different things that that job does and what it's going to replace and when very well. But yeah, I agree. It'll probably get there eventually.
0: Yeah. Well, I've heard a I've heard a couple of things. Like <laughs> the first thing I've heard is it's going to replace the first one going to replace is the bad <laughs> software engineers, right? The second thing is that it's like if you if you if you literally if, if you do make a good software engineer three times more efficient, you're either going to produce three times more stuff or you're going to be able to get rid of some of the, you know. The work or roles in the company that are doing yeah. most or all of those things, like document to me documentation. Like if I, if you were primarily, a, if we overcome the issue of um, proprietary knowledge, like if you have a piece of proprietary software, you have all its existing documentation. You could the technology is good enough right now. You you could input all of the code and all of the documentation into something like GPT four, and you could describe a new feature to it, and it will output
1: documentation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah doc- generate documentation, I bet it would be uh, excellent already. Being able to just, so like, people who, there are a lot of search people who through a bunch of jobs. existing code that so. isn't documented very well and find things and maybe even make changes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one thing that I could imagine being, like, pretty powerful is if you could actually describe a type of change that actually needs to touch, like, 300 different files. But you could it could it would just do it Yep, and... And even if it's more complex than a simple find and replace, but if it's something like, you know, everywhere that you do, like, you you compare two variables, change it from less than to less than or equal, or not that you would do that, but something like that, where it's, like, you know, a little bit more complex than just a simple find and replace, I bet it would be able to do pretty well.
0: I'm imagining something, too, where you have, like, a previous release version. You have, like, a, you know, 6.4, and we're moving to 6.5, and we need to redo all the documentation, but we need to include the new features and the changes from the previous one, right? And so I can imagine just feeding it in the previous version's documentation, describing the new features, and it just outputs the new documentation. Like which would take many, many hours potentially. And I'm just thinking the people who do documentation there are people who there are people who right. do documentation full time, right? And I think those people are not going to be as needed. Yeah, so like, something like, you know, anyway. like the, the jobs that
1: jump to my mind is the ones that are just going to be gone the soonest Or any kind of just like content production, like copywriters or uh, like mm-hmm. AP news writers that are just kind of, you know, doing like kind of a, the headlines or like the, you know, like the AP news articles that are like four mm-hmm. or five paragraphs describing just some like new event that happened. Like that seems like all like very automatable very soon.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure they're already... I mean, they have already had been automating the production of yeah. sports stories and weather stories, I believe, with existing uh, AI. Uh, and this is, like, way beyond that. But even just in the software space, going back to that, like, you talk about content generation, there's documentation, there's also training. I think training yeah. materials are, are going to be <laughs> like way, way easier to produce. And also, I do, as part of my job, testing, I think... Uh, there's already some automation of testing, but I think this will also Yeah, that's an interesting much one. Much I don't know.
1: Easier. I would be interested to like see some analysis of of, of generating tests. Because testing is complicated, making sure that you're doing tests in an efficient way and that you've got good coverage. But but yeah, it does A seem like something of it that it could probably like is, if it just sort of if it just sort of understands what the system is supposed to do. And also, like, common types of well, bugs that other systems have that it can knows to, like, focus on and look for. Wow. So
0: a lot of testing is regression testing, which is testing existing functionality, right? And if we're starting from scratch, yeah, maybe. But if we have, like, if you have Selenium scripts or something like if you have existing autom- automation or you have even existing manual test scripts, you know, I think this thing and you input, you know, your, the the bulk of all of your testing materials into this thing and say, oh, I've got this new thing that needs to be tested. Can you generate a new test case? I think it would do pretty darn well. It certainly could do well just for regression testing in coming up with test cases for things that you, you know, comprehensively covered that you may have forgotten. Right. Because it's because it let's let's go ahead and move on to the next one because it's kind of <laughs> that we've been talking about how good it is at computer stuff. Um, But the next one is capacity to abstract the underlying structure of problems to solve them. So it's able to analogize, it's able to generalize. So this is what I was going to say is, yeah, I'm sure it's got, it's got millions of compute of automated test scripts or, uh, or manual test scripts in its, in its training corpus. And, it just has, it it's able to analogize right it's able to analogize those like it can solve problems with the wording with the with the basic underlying structure of the problem intact but the but the surface level details different right and that's something that ai systems were very very brittle in the past about like you could you know hard code particular steps or hard code particular types of problems but they didn't degrade Like if you threw one – gracefully. If you threw one little wrinkle in, they just broke, right? right? This doesn't do that, right? This system is very, very robust to to different surface-level forms. It's got some kind of – it's got this ability to abstract out the underlying skeletal structure of problems and recognize them across domains, I think and I think people who are downplaying that are just don't understand what a big deal that is. Like how hard that is to do computationally right. and how well this Well and that's system, beyond you know about that, sort of like
1: the stotas- so. stochastic parrot critique of it. Like that's well beyond that, right? Like it's not just seeing a few words and figuring out what the next logical word is or even next logical sense or whatever. Like it's mm-hmm. yeah yeah, like the comprehension might even be more impressive than the generation on that level. Yeah. And it, it, it seems, and that we kind of talked about this before, like the fact that it seems like it has some sort of like internal model of the world and what it's discussing and what has been input into it, whether or not it really does is like a whole question. Mm-hmm. Like since it is at its core, supposedly only a language model, it seems kind of amazing that it's able to do that. Um, but it does seem to right. at least functionally have an internal model of, you know, like, you said, like what an elephant is, like the, the actual structure of an elephant and how it relates to other animals uh-huh. and how it's, you know, like that it has ears attached to its head. Like even if even if like there was no nothing in the data set that said like an elephant's ears are attached to its head, it would just know that because it knows that like that's just the way ears work across all animals.
0: Right. If next level token prediction if that just naturally... If, like, the functional knowledge... The appearance, or at least the... <clears throat> not the appearance, but the, the... It actually works. The functionality of of having... Of seeming to have a model, working from a model of... A very complex, rich model of concepts just falls out of that, then, okay. Like, that's interesting in and of itself that that's, that, that would be the case. I would find that hard to believe we have these giant giant neural networks these deep learning models are these massive neural networks i think in the training data what's happening wh- what's happening in the internal structure of these things is that they are as they're learning they've passing some threshold they're building more and more complex models of these um symbols of what an elephant is that they've got some kind of represent that representation may be nothing like our representation first of all ours is multimodal we've got we have visual input of elephants we know what they sound like what they if you've touched one what they feel like we've got time variant we've got quote unquote videos on our head right I know that they're actually like videos but we can picture an elephant walking through you know, across a savanna or whatever and these models don't have those i mean they're incorporating multimodal that's what more modalities into these models that's one thing they're doing i don't know if you saw google announced um, is it gemini Mm-mm. have you heard of google gemini oh so at the um uh, i think it was google i o this year I, it was recently they announced their sort of competitive product with g p t four or g p t five these upcoming models are and they're going i believe they talk about how they're training it how it's multimodal and it's going to be debuted i don't know if they're gonna i don't know to what extent- extent they're gonna make it public facing or incorporated into existing products, um, or expose APIs, but by, I believe the timeline is either by the so end of this year it or early at least text and image so, and maybe video. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is multimodal. I didn't watch the presentation. I've read some coverage of it. Um, but yeah, I'm assuming it will have, it will allow for at the very least text and image input and, and output, potentially audio and video and who knows what else? Microwaves or something, if you want. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so there's that, and we know that uh, GPT four, OpenAI's already incorporated multimodal. They have got a GPT four with a vision or whatever. So, um, and I don't know much of the details of that, but we're, they're already the people, the big, yeah. the people working on these things are already trying to incorporate
1: multi-model representation. So, do you, so here's so, a question. Do you happen to know... So you know the, OpenAI developed both DALI and ChatGPT, right? So like they they have image mm-hmm. models and they have language models. Do we know if the language models... If any part of those language models was actually part of what got trained with images? Or is like is GPT-4 like just all text in and text out and there's no other inputs to it? To, to its training?
0: Well... OpenAI has been very cagey about the training data sets, which is, again, ironic because they're called OpenAI, yeah. and their founding mission was to be open and open source everything because that's the way we were going to have safe AI, which, you know, I think they got dollar signs in their eyeballs, and that's that's where they went. But anyway, we don't know. We don't know what, Chet, what uh, GPT-4 was trained on exactly, but the fact that they do, if you go to their website and look through, they have a GPT-4, and then, like I say, they have a GPT-4 with vision... And so I don't know if it's possible they they're making that distinction, but they're not yeah. detailing what they're. It would to be interesting to note. So like I don't know. like we're talking about the fact uh, that it
1: has these richer models but, and these richer models that pe- people hypothesized or you know in in the past that like any like sufficiently complex general AI would have to be multimodal in order to get there. Like in order to understand what an elephant is, you would have to have more than just like the the words describing it all but you would have to like actually have input that's like tactile or visual or sound or whatever um and it seems like it doesn't right it seems like purely training from text that is able to build up a a stronger model but if some of the training data actually was multimodal to start with maybe that did feed that model better so that it actually was able to make, you know, I don't know, it, but oh, like no. it, as we over time as we learn more how they were trained, it would, I would be curious to know that.
0: My understanding, because 3.5 is what powers GP uh, Chat GPT. I could be wrong, but my and again they haven't. I mean, they haven't uh, made public what their training sets are. But my general understanding is that 3.5 and 4 are not multimodal. They're they were not trained on images at all. And I could be wrong about that, but I don't think they are. I think that's something they've introduced they've introduced as a separate mo- yeah. type of model you know a new model with GPT4. They've started to incorporate images into it, but they've made that distinction between the one with and without. Um, but I I don't nobody I don't think anybody knows for yeah. sure It is kind of amazing is, right because that's, that's
1: basically right. analogous to like if a child were born, Whatever, like blind, deaf, and dumb, or whatever. Like, it's hard to come up with a good analogy here, but like, if you somehow had like a human brain that its entire life, its only input and output was like a a chap, like, like that, the only thing that its brain ever got input and output was text. And it was still able to build up as complex a model of the world as somebody that has all of their senses. That's pretty amazing, right? Like, even though it's still just a human brain, that still would be a little bit surprising that there wouldn't be more holes in the its understanding.
0: Yes. So you say as complex a model, which I don't know. You gotta be careful there, maybe, because we don't know but that. It's there at are least models able to are as pretty well mimic as complex using a model. Language as a in a human. Way, like it seems right. like you're
1: talking to a human. You can ask lots of questions about it. It doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. Well, like it seems like it it behaves as if it has one.
0: Yes. It's it's using language in a way that Seems as if it has as complex a model, which either says something about the complexity of the underlying model, or it says something about the lack of complexity in language. It could be that language is not as interesting or complex as we thought, but yeah. I find that very. Actually, to it's me, it suggests the other direction: is word that like language
1: maybe is the actual core of consciousness, of like like a lot of the, the higher level things that we you know think of our brains as having, like the. The fact that we we have gotten this far, supposedly, on training something as only a language model, and not only is it like really, really good at language, but it's getting really, really good at like logic and abstraction and some of the other things that we're talking about, suggests that maybe our consciousness, our understanding, our uh, models of the world, maybe maybe it, it is just kind of a language model all the way down to some extent. Like,
0: Yeah, I probably would push back on that. Uh, it could be, yes, that a lot of the, quote-unquote, higher-level stuff that we associate with an, with human-level intelligence yeah. comes along for the ride. Which, so, the which has been
1: hypothesized before. Like, but, I've, I've, I've read—both of us have read theories of that before. And I think we both kind of—it di- didn't seem intuitive to us that that was actually the case before. But it's starting to seem more plausible now with the development of these language models.
0: Well— the, when I think, when I think of, though, we have examples of systems that don't have language, but that also exhibit a lot of traits of intelligence. Like we we have chimpanzees and, and elephants and dolphins and things like that that don't have to our best knowledge, well-formed, well-structured language, but they have pretty good problem solving, you know, skills. Do chimpanzees um, not have like a rudimentary a language? Uh, I so I I took a course in grad school on um, animal communication and uh, that was in the mid 2000s. I don't I don't think the I could be wrong here, but I don't think the current consensus. I think the current consensus is that there is no animal species that has anything that could be considered a.
1: Yeah. F- I mean, a well, we've taught gorillas like, sign language, line right? so they have the some complex. capacity There's, for learning it but but the thing in our brain that makes us just like a sponge yeah. for learning languages, well, baby. those I guess that's like very specific to humans as
0: far as we know. We have yeah, we have areas of the brain, Broca's area and things like that that are specifically implicated in language that when they're damaged or there's lesions there are certain, you know, degradations of language use. So we, I mean we know that there's parts of the brain that are explicitly, you know, evolved and implicated in language. I don't know that there's analogous structures in non-human species, um, those sign language experiments are, I believe, still mm-hmm. somewhat controversial as far as what's going on. You know, it, it, when you, when you're dealing with studies of animal cognition, you're still um, you're you're bumping into one of the the main problems with studying with understanding consciousness, with understanding sentience, uh, all these. Because uh, basically, you know we don't have direct access to other minds. So when you're, when you're trying to figure out, for example, if a gorilla has theory of mind, whether it understands that other gorillas have thoughts and emotions and needs and wants, you know, you can make inferences about their behavior, but you still don't have direct access to their minds and what they're thinking. And so it's, uh it's tough. So a lot of people look at the sign language experiments and, explain it away as behaviorism or you know just stimulus response kind of stuff not there's probably a lot of people in the middle that oh there's something going on but it's like they're not really using language there's examples of uh i believe like coco i think had learned the sign the symbols for water and bird and upon seeing a swan for the first time signed water bird i don't know how i don't know first of all i don't know how well documented that case is i don't know if it's uh, i don't know what's going on there there's people who would argue about what's going on there, uh, whether that's a, like, whether Coco made up right. a word or just saw water and saw the bird. Right. So like, anyway, but I do again, going back, I do believe the consent, the general consensus, if again, I could be wrong is that the humans are the only animal that have anything. That's yeah. what we would call like a full blown language. All Other right. animals communicate. They all, they communicate all the time. Yeah, I have one communicating in the background here. By the way, can you hear that? Okay. I'm going to let's actually take a quick pause here. So we're back. Had to take a hopefully my bird settles down. <laughs> anyway, all right. Yeah, so let's try to get through the list of capacities because I do want to talk about um I do want to talk about the dangers of AI. And uh, and if we don't, you know, if we can't fully get to it, uh, we can have another Another episode where we talk about it, but uh, yeah. anyway, I have as number five able to reference and speak coherently about itself, which to me this is one I don't see talked about um, very much. And to me, is I don't. I actually was arguing with somebody online <laughs> this week, and um, I don't know how I haven't seen them talk about how it was trained to have this capacity, but it, you know, if you it if it's just an next token generator and it was trained all on human data you, what I would expect is that generally if you if you say what are you doing tonight or what's your favorite food or these sorts of things or describe yourself or talk about yourself whenever it references itself what you would expect is from uh, from the training from a training corpus filled with humans talking about themselves you you would expect it to pretend it's to talk as if it's human but it doesn't do that Right? It speaks as if it's a language model. It talks about its capacities. It talks about its training, it talks about what it can and can't. Like, it is. I don't want to say it's self aware because that's probably too strong, but it speaks. It, it is able to differentiate, um, again, at least behaviorally, itself from humans.
1: Yep. Yeah, definitely. Like, it speaks about itself at least in my experience, in a very objective way. Like, it seems like it just sort of understands what a language model is, and then it knows when you use the second person that that is itself, and it knows how to make that connection. Um, and then it, yeah. It just uses first and second person appropriately. But yeah, it doesn't seem like that would just fall naturally out of just training it on a bunch of data. No, And it doesn't ha- it doesn't seem to have any of the sort of human things that come along with that like self-consciousness or like ego right like it, it is very very objective when it talks about itself it doesn't have uh speak of itself the way the humans typically speak about of them, of themselves but but yeah like i i am But you and i and i i haven't seen any any articles that i've read about it even talk about that mm-hmm. and it does seem like a pretty significant thing it is like significant. Even if it's a very rudimentary sort of self awareness, like it has something there.
0: Right. I want to. That's a question I have not. I've seen a number of interviews with Sam Alban. I have not seen anyone ask him about that. Or um, is it Sutskova? I don't remember who the lead engineer is. I'm probably butchering his name. Um, I haven't seen anybody from OpenAI being asked that question or anybody talking about these systems really discuss that so either it was trained explicitly on that like so it also has something of a distinct again i don't want to anthropomorphize it too much but it, you know you kind of have to at least metaphorically talk about these it has some a form of a personality in the sense that it has certain traits it has certain conversational traits one especially chat gpt because it's been trained with this reinforcement learning to avoid controversial subjects to demur if confronted like if you say oh what you know that was the wrong answer it apologizes profusely right um although well it alternately can do that but then it alternately like adamantly sticks to its guns about being wrong sometimes so it's got this weird dichotomy uh maybe it's schizophrenic in some sense too Um, yeah
1: well i get the sense so very early on there were some cases like when it was just sort of like opened up to journalists and stuff there were cases of um, journalists pointing out when it got wrong and when it just totally dug in and like it wouldn't like admit that it was wrong or acknowledge it was wrong. Right. Um And then it seems like they have made that's maybe one of the things that they have sort of like kind of not necessarily overcorrected, but like very consciously corrected for to make it a little bit more demure and, and to, to to be able to admit that it's wrong now. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, but 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 th- but that does make me wonder if at its core, if it's like a little more. I don't know, arrogant or confident than the the one, the public facing one that we have now.
0: Yeah, I have heard interviews of people who've um, interacted with the un the um, the uncensored version. They call it the uncensored yep. version, or the the not the one that hasn't been trained with re the so much with the human reinforcement um, learning. And they, yeah, it will, you know, it what what you would expect. It's a lot first of all I think it's more my general sense from, from what I've heard is that it's more capable that it's it's not it's actually which also kind of makes sense like it can the chat GPT will not produce like if you ask to produce a rated R script or whatever a sex scene or something like that it won't it won't do it you can jailbreak it to do it but it's some work right it won't naturally do it right so it would make sense that the systems are more capable they will tell you how to build a bomb or they'll tell you how to you know, if it knows or, or it'll write you a sex scene or whatever. Um, but then, yeah. And then they'll also be more likely to argue with you perhaps. I don't know. But, um, anyway, uh, yeah, that's a real, uh, to me, that's really interesting. I want to know more about that. I want to know more. I can't imagine if I've said before, if, if the if this if the way it talks about itself fell naturally out of its training which seems almost impossible to me that seems very 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 significant <laughs> and if if they explicitly trained it yeah i just can't that would blow my mind but my mind's kind of been blown a little bit anyway but if they if they did i would want at least some some details on yeah on how they did that anyway uh, number six is able to sequence complex events it doesn't always do this well but it can like i said i messed around with gpt2 um, for the better part of a year and it was very bad at this like uh my go-to example is clothing putting on clothes or taking off clothes a human um and gpt2 just couldn't do it you would, you know the person would put on their shirt and then they put on their shoes and then they put on their shirt again right like it it didn't have a, you know, a representation of that sequence. It would, it, you know, either its context window was small enough where it didn't understand that it had already carried out a sequence or it, it wasn't, you know, this is another thing that cracks me up is the, the people talk about how, oh, they when they speak about next token generation, they speak about it as if it's an easy thing. This is obvious these things fall out. But if you've, if you've, Interacted with a previous model, you know, it didn't just fall out like they didn't. They didn't just throw it because they threw a GPT two. They threw a ton of training data at this thing, and it. And if you ask it, you know, uh, describe the process of Bob getting dressed for work, it couldn't do it. It just couldn't do it. It would make all sorts of mistakes because yeah. it didn't have representations of what shoes and shirts or it, it didn't have representation. It didn't have the capacity to do that, right? right?
1: Well, which and, makes sense, right? Like if it's got a zillion examples of somebody putting on their shoes and then their shirt, and then just a zillion examples of somebody putting on their shirt and then their shoes, mm-hmm. like and when it's outputting those, like yeah, why would it always know not to just do the shirt both before and after the shoes, right? Uh, right.
0: So that's the thi- that's the thing that people are overlooking when you look at the training data. You've, you're go- it's going to be filled with like you say it's going to be filled with inconsistencies in the, in sequencing in it, for sequences where there there's not a strict order where you can have a, a a variable order and how so how do you train a system like that to get it right right what you have <laughs> I don't I don't completely know the answer to that but they've but they've done it and to me I don't see how. A system can solve that problem without representation, model, whatever you want to call it, of some con- some conceptual bedrock for what those items are, what those what those things, what those concepts are, right? Um, so anyway, uh, in this case, you could say something like, "Well, you just need a simple you just need a simple memory of the things that it's already put on,"
1: or something like that. But I don't think that gets you there either, right? Well, but even that is, um, even like even if it has that, it has a model that's like mimicking the world. If it's doing that, even if it's just like a short term memory thing, but like it's got some sort of concept that like people don't typically put two shirts on at the same time or what you know, like or the you know socks go underneath shoes or what. Like it's it's got to actually it's not it can't just remember the tokens. It's got to know the how they relate to each other. And how that's then going to affect the next thing that it says, which again, like seems way beyond simply a language model. Or right. at least well beyond what I used to think of what like just like just a language model was, as opposed to like language model basically being something close to human intelligence, or at least like the beginnings of it.
0: Right. Uh, like a general knowledge structure and a general reasoning system. Yep. Right. So you know, if you know anything about the history of AI, you know that people have tried and tried and tried to build systems that yep. s- that explicitly track those sorts of things, and they just, they're just so brittle. They just fall apart. Yep. It's just h- so hard to do because you're dealing with very, very complex... Com- I mean, even people don't think of shoes and shirts as complex, but they're pretty complex. They're way more complex than you'd think, right? And getting dressed is more complex than you think. So, yep. uh, like... Hard coding that with some kind of, you know, decision tree or whatever, you know, logic is very, very hard to do. I mean, whatever you can. I mean, you could do something that is fairly simplistic and you say, "Okay, describe Bob getting undressed for work, you know, but and it would do it. It would say, you know, or getting dressed for work. Sorry, Uh, Bob, Bob gets out of the shower. He puts on his shirt. And but the minute you throw any kind of wrinkle at it, it's going to just fall apart. Yep until now these systems don't do that <laughs> right, right? well yeah deal. so the, yeah, number
1: one like all of those like expert systems and like knowledge graphs and stuff like this have never never worked for this problem um, even if they did it's still novel that they that this has solved that problem without doing any of that like at least as right. far as we know with, with just training it on language with just training it on a whole bunch of examples of conversations and language and descriptions all text-based right like like even if it were possible to build that model and get a computer to like robustly understand it that's not how this one works
0: no and and we could see in the early models how only doing that up to up to a point still it still didn't work it was still confused yeah right but you get you get a, a presumably a certain threshold of 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 architecture of neural of just you know a particular configuration of, of these computing elements and uh, and, uh, and and the correct form of data in train in the correct way and you get it and you that's what you know you get it you get this robust uh, the way uh, the capacity to talk about these things in as robust a way as humans can certainly. Children, most children speaks better than most children, because children make more mistakes than this thing makes with language. Yep, right. Human children. Anyway, by the way, <laughs> so I was listening to when when you I try to stay grounded and not buy in too much to the hype and not get over you know my head. So I try to listen to a lot of the critics, and I was li- and I listened to some of these critics, and they say things. It's just it feels like it's just straw men everywhere, and it reminded me. Have you um do, did you do you remember the onion article about how stupid babies are? do you remember do you remember you never heard yeah. that one so it was this onion article and it was like scientists um, reveal through experiments just how stupid babies are or something like that and it's basically like they would take a hu- they're like we we took a human baby and we put it out on a hill while it was raining and it just it just cried and wriggled its arms and legs it didn't try to get away it didn't try to seek shelter and they're like when we did this with animals non-human animals of of comparable ages they they got up and they they sought shelter they didn't you know and it was it was this, it was all a bunch of stuff like that about how stupid yep. they would just you know the human babies would drown and they couldn't feed themselves and they shat themselves and this kind of stuff and <laughs> this reminds me of that the, the criticism reminds me right. of that right it's like look at all the things that look how stupid these systems yeah. are like it look at this they'll cherry pick some question some uh niche that it fails at now and they'll be like oh this thing's taking over the world this thing's the next terminator yeah. come on man anyway
1: well and even so like yeah number one like these were all nitpicky to start with number two like half the ones that they bring out get solved in like a week <laughs> right. right like there right. was the whole thing where like with the image ones where they kept making people with too many fingers and like a week later they'd fixed it Right um, now,
0: the finger thing—if you still—if you use Stable Diffusion or something, you still have issues with fingers. But I think
1: midjourney. Yeah, I, it's not completely solved in every model, but like they—they right, right. they have demonstrated that there is a way to address that problem. Like in right. the future, models will not have that. They, these models won't have that problem.
0: Right there's the we were talking about um, an interview between I believe Lex Friedman and Jan LeCun, where he was talking about how you know these models don't have conceptions of the world and how if you put a book on a table and you push the table the systems won't understand that the book is going to move along with the table (laughs) and then and then you know was watching a video where they basically somebody just input it in a chat gpt and it did it yeah yeah it's like well of course the book yeah the book moves along with the table with the table (laughs) and i you know i tried it out with all sorts of different novel objects i put you know, ping pong balls on top of refrigerators and all sorts of things like that and asked it. And, you know, and it's like, well, if it's if it's not um, firmly attached, then it's when you move the refrigerator, it might fall off or it might roll around. I tried, you know, I talked about different kinds of like construction paper and all. I tried it with lots of different sort of varied objects and different situations that may or may not be in its training set. I mean, we know the training set is not infinite, right? So we know this thing is generalizing. Like, you can, tr- you can instead of a table, you can say, you know, put a vintage 1640 whatever Bible on a Victorian tea table or something, right? Which, you whatever, you can think whatever yeah. weird stuff you want, you can come up with that that exact string is not in the training data, and, re- and replicate it and it will understand it will know that the you know the the object placed on the other object it, it will know enough about it will be i say no i don't know what it knows or doesn't know it will output yeah. a linguistic response as if it knows the 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 attributes of these things so anyway um yeah, the next one is related to stuff we were talking about anyway. Able to speak intelligently around, or intelligibly about real-world concepts without grounding. We really are already kind of touched on that. To me, eight is creativity. Whatever you want to talk about creativity is, whatever your uh, conception of creativity is, this thing is able to produce novel um Combinate. It, it. You know, I was having it produce uh, new, like, songs in the style of Weird Al Yankovic, right? And they weren't like, the most amazing things in the world, but they were they were passable, and they were instantaneous. They were better than I could probably come up with right. in half an hour. Um,
1: but it could also generate 200 of them in a minute, and if you pick the best one, it would probably be pretty good.
0: Right. Um, I'm not... You know, an expert on poetry, uh, but you know, it writes it writes some reasonably good poetry. It, ri- it writes poetry as well as a human, you know, junior high school student <laughs> at the very least, right? And maybe better. Um, it's able to it's able to synthesize data from many 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 sources into original constructions that conform to whatever like if you ask it to write an iambic pentameter it will write an iambic pentameter if you ask it to write like it conforms to whatever constraints you put on it and it generates original novel content as far as the quality of that uh i did see there was a story this week um you watch black mirror right have you watched all the seasons of black mirror
1: yeah, there's a new one coming out soon, right? But yeah, I've seen all the other. Yes.
0: Ones. This actually this week, the new season comes out, I think. But Charlie Booker, I think his name's Charlie Booker is the uh, the creative force behind that, the main writer. Did you see the story where he said he used ChatGPT to write an episode and it was garbage? No. Yeah. So I don't I didn't do a deep dive on that, so I don't know what the process was. But yeah. If you um if you if you ask to write an entire episode, we ha- you have issues with memory, with it sort of tracking, you know. Uh, there's probably a workflow where you can generate a pretty reasonable half-hour episode of TV.
1: Yeah. That's well, you and I than- played around with writing an episode of uh, Ted Lassa, or I did, at least. You did, um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, it wasn't great. Like, I don't think it would actually, like, you know, beat out, like, the existing writers. But it was, like, for... Something that, like, is you know, an early AI language model that wasn't specifically trained to do that, it's just sort of trained to do language. Mm-hmm. Like, it was pretty freaking good. Like, it was pretty, and it was like I could generate an outline that, like, I could see like a writer taking this and kind of polishing it and turning it into like a full episode, right? Um, and, and
0: it was kind of zero shot, too, right? Like, you didn't, you didn't spend tons and tons of time on it. Um, you didn't, no, I generated like, it, like three or four way. variances, maybe, but like, yeah, it wasn't much, right. So I'm guessing there's workflows, uh, ways to sort of break up the, the task and improve the prompts
1: to get something substantial. Oh yeah, better. yeah. This think- was not yeah. This was not a whole lot of effort I put into it. Uh, and then well, there was also the the, the part where like like I, I had a ge- So first of all, I had it like generate like you know g- generate an episode with blah blah blah. I think I did like generate an episode where like you know Tom Brady shows up or whatever. And so I wrote an episode mm-hmm. where like somehow Tom Brady was in England and he came and talked to the team or whatever. And, you know, it did, like, an outline. It broke it up into three acts. Like, it was, you know, it was reasonably good. And then I said, like, oh, expand on, you know, act one. And actually, like, write all the dialogue for it. And then it did that. Uh And it was, I don't think it was long enough to actually be, like, the full act. It was probably, like, two minutes of dialogue or whatever. But, like, it was okay. And then I said, make it funnier. Uh And it actually did. Again, it wasn't amazing. But, like, it put a little few more jokes in. It was a little bit more like Madcap. It wasn't, like, quite, you know... Which, like, just blew my mind that like, just say make it funnier to a thing and it could just sort of, like, do, like, understand that and do it and have it in a way that, like, actually, like, has, like, humor is one of those things that, you know, people always thought, like, oh, that's always how, you, you know, a touring test is ever going to pass that, right? Like, a touring test is never going to know what's funny or what's, you know, um, or it's never going to be able to laugh at something. But, you know, I don't think this thing necessarily laughed, but, like, it was able to make me laugh a little bit.
0: Right. So, yeah, it's funny. I was just looking right before we started uh, recording this episode. There was uh, somebody posted an article on Reddit that some German team had analyzed ChatGPT and its capacity for humor, and had determined that I didn't. I didn't read the paper. I was just skimmed it, so I could be getting things wrong here. But something like it had. Uh, they they were able to isolate that it was using um a core set of joke templates to generate every joke that it generated and um based on wordplay and this kind of stuff and they were all like these very they were all kind of dad jokes based on most not all of them but and there were like 25 of them and i was reading through and i was like i don't i didn't i didn't go and read their paper and see what their methodology was but i don't think that's correct because there are explicit jokes like if you're testing something's sense of humor i mean humor is very very complex and it's not just telling a one line one liners and punch lines right it's writing you know you talk about humor in an episode things like that i had seen it made me think because it made me think of the i saw a post a couple of weeks ago where somebody was generating onion headlines using mm-hmm. chat gpt and they weren't all funny, but there were a couple of really funny ones. And um, let me see. Well, there's one I can't remember. The, but one I do remember was uh, scientists find that uh, an increased um, water consumption can lead to drowning. <laughs> and, and so that's, I thought, well.
1: That's pretty good. Maybe like, that I was can an, absolutely well, see first, that being a real one.
0: The first thing you got to check is is that is it just ripping off like was that yeah. its training corpus or whatever? So I googled it and I didn't and I saw a lot of like serious I didn't do an extensive search, so whatever. if somebody out there who actually listens to this is aware of a another joke site or something that used that, but it, uh, when I googled diff- a couple of different forms of that joke. It was at, It was saying. I got back serious things about like warnings about how you can drink too much water, and it's bad. It can be bad for you, and sometimes cause death if it's super excessive or whatever. I didn't see anything about a joke. Certainly, I didn't. I put the onion. I put onion in there and like tried different things, and I couldn't find anything. So, if it if it is in its corpus, it's fine. If it's not, that's a pretty good joke. Yeah. Right. It's pretty funny. Um and it's not and it didn't conf, it doesn't conform to a one-liner punchline kind of thing it's more sophisticated than yep. that um, so anyway uh, whatever you i think even the most diehard critics have to admit these systems are creative under whatever definition of creative creativity you want to use but anyway uh, number 9 is scores high uh, scores in high percentiles on a broad spectrum of standardized tests also certification tests things like that. You know, I was talking to another guy online that was arguing these things are just dumb puppets. They're just, you know, glorified autocompletes. And I was pointing, and I pointed to Benchmarks, and he's like, oh, Benchmarks, LOL. If somebody has a better way, I. if we're not using, if we're not, if we can't say, okay, this thing, Aces every ex- every exam that humans have ever taken. Yeah, um, I don't know what I don't know how we're measuring. You know the capacities of these systems. Yeah, right.
1: Well, that's just yeah, that's just dumb. I mean, it's like saying like, <laughs> oh, you keep moving the goalposts. Goalposts, lol. Right? Like, it's just saying like, it's basically just somebody dug in and saying like, my subjective opinion of what intelligence is is better than any objective measurable thing you can come up with. Right, which is, which, which even if it's true, is just like, well, why are we even bothering having a conversation? Then, right, because like, there's just if there's just no way to know it, then why even talk about it?
0: Right, I'm not going to explicitly, I'm not going to give you the broad parameters of what I'm talking about. It's just, right. it's gonna be a, you'll know it when I see it, I guess. But at that point, that's not very scientific, right? Like, how are we gonna?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like the opposite it, of scientific. It's yes. Um, and it's yeah and it well and it's just not productive like it's if you like if you just don't think we have a way of measuring it yet fine but don't just say like oh that's measurable it's stupid to talk about it
0: yes yeah um so number 10 is can summarize complex text very well uh, summarization is not a trivial task and so to know what to include what not to include it also doesn't really kind of <clears throat> um gel with this idea of just glorified autocomplete because what you're asking you know if you're saying the thing's just good at predicting the next token you would expect sort of the volume of output to match you know whatever the the next token generation is in its training corpus you're asking it to modify text and again if it's if it's unique if you give it a unique set of text that it's never seen before 'Cause it's only trained up to twenty twenty one. So you could you could take whatever, a thousand words, five hundred words or something from from an from a story or, or anything, any per, any anything that was published after then, input it in a chat GPT, say summarize this. And I have yet to see it not give a reasonable summarization, which is a fairly complex skill and not and doesn't make it's never seen those 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 tokens before. So how is it doing that purely as a function of next token generation? I have, I would love to hear some people explain some of these capacities. You know, as a as a function of just of quote unquote just next token generation, like they're very much explaining these things away. They don't they're not grappling with the actual capacities, right? They're yeah. just they're talking about they're cherry picking failures and. And focusing on that. Yeah.
1: your stochastic parrot just passed the bar. You need a little <laughs> bit more of an explanation, than, than, right? That it's just yeah, right.
0: So anyway, well, I have seen the criticism of, um, like with bar ex- with the ex- with the standardized exams. I have seen the criticism that uh, in some cases that the benchmarks OpenAI was using were exact. They were using exact questions that were in the training corpus, which again, I don't know how these people know exactly what it was trained on because they haven't said what it's trained on, but that it is a danger if, you know, I mean, there, there is some, there is potentially a legitimate criticism if the, if the, if the test set is too close to the training set, like that's a bad way to benchmark, right? But there's... Yeah too many unknowns and and you can the thing is you can test it yourself you can put in your own you can put in things that you know it hasn't seen right or be very very confident it hasn't seen and get output and you can't explain those but anyway um to me these things are general reasoning engines um or at least the appearance of reasoning i don't know if you want to make if reasoning is sort of an algorithm i don't know how you really make that distinction you know it, it
1: If something appears to... I don't see how, like... I mean, again, it comes to kind of, like, benchmarks and how... You know, the fact that... All all the things that we... At least think that we do in our brain. You know, reasoning, consciousness, self-awareness. Like, all these sort of, like, higher-level things. Like, we don't have a good definition for them. We don't have a good way of measuring... Objectively measuring whether they exist. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, a problem just to start with. But, yeah. But at least just reasoning... I don't see how anybody can argue these things aren't reasoning because they are they're not just giving you an answer that's similar to some answer that they've been given before they're able to like a lot of things you've been bringing up they're able to abstract they're able to answer in a way as if they have some sort of internal model of what it's discussing Mm -hmm right like the order the closing clothes are put on the fact that like a ping pong ball will roll when you move the table but a book won't you know like it's it's like it's like i gotta understand friction somehow um like yeah it it, i don't see how you that like the things that it's the ways that it's the questions it's able to answer the breadth of what questions is able to answer the creativity that's able to come up with like how is that not reasoning
0: what the criticism like i said before a lot of times I'll hear people say, well, you're just, you're being fooled by this illusion of the, the fact that it's speaking to you and you know, it's communicating or whatever. The fact that it's using a natural language is giving this illusion. That's sort of pulling at your emotional strings or these sorts of things. And I'm like, (laughs) I pride myself on being reasonably skeptical. And I mean, I'm not, nobody's free of bias. I'm not, I'm not a robot. I'm not free of uh, emotion, but um, you can say those things but then you still need to explain for example how how is it um, how is it able to reliably uh, infer the how is it reliably able to talk about objects and the friction between them without an explicit, Just at all, just answer. You know, like you say, answer that question. How is it able to uh, to 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 intelligibly talk about these concepts in these ways when we know that the training set cannot include is not infinite, right? It it, you know, it's it's having to be. It it has to be able to generalize to novel cases. It has to be able to have to. It's speaking about uh, physics concepts in in ways about the way things in the real world interrelate that humans know from their interactions with the real world. Uh, that this thing seems to have picked up from its training set and and those those demand an explanation not just a dismissal that oh you're being you're falling prey to your emotions well i may be falling prey to my emotions but you still need to explain its its capacities how is it doing xyz and acknowledge yes. that it's
1: doing xyz right so anyway yeah well and like there are so there are clearly at least two big biases in place here. one the bias of it seeming more human than it really is because it's Mimicking human language and training on a bunch of human. And then the other bias is like not believing that it could possibly do what a human is because it's not human. Uh Right. Which is what most of these criticisms are coming from. So either way, yeah, there's a bias there. So the only way to get past that is to come up with some objective way of measuring like what it's able to do and, and, and say like, okay, if it can solve X, Y, and Z problem that shows that it is reasoning or has a model of the world or whatever it is. And you know, yeah, maybe there's a problem with these benchmarks, but a lot of them have we've come up with a lot of benchmarks and it keeps passing them well right?
0: it keeps improving on them, right like every yeah. time they release a new version of the model it its capacity increases on these yeah. benchmarks and you need to you need to be able to I mean again, you can explain that away as oh, it's just getting better at associations, but that doesn't explain again some of these things would be confounded by simple statistical relationships between words because the training set is going to include a lot of noise and a lot of different examples of like we talked about the sequencing. So like that doesn't it, the models must be developing as long as your test set is, is solid is a reasonable test set. So these people um, you know, if their definition is just, reasoning is what a human does (laughs) right right we're not gonna be able to you're not gonna be able to to budge at all you're not gonna convince them of anything until you build a functioning artificial human i suppose even so i don't know yeah um anyway let's talk about the weaknesses kind of try to go through them so i had those were the sort of the strengths or the capacities i feel like hadn't really been um you know people had i think we did a reasonable job sort of discussing some of those um, and I want to talk about some of the some of the weaknesses of these things and then I want to talk about the dangers of AI and then we'll maybe wrap it up but um try to go through these uh, reasonably fast so number one is bad at it's bad at math like <laughs> some math um, especially large number math like if you multiply two four digit or five digit numbers together it almost always uh, I haven't messed around with with Gpt four I don't know the extent to which it's better or worse at math I know it has <laughs> plugins but if if you with chat gpt it almost always gets it wrong right and this is because it wasn't trained to do math like that's the that's kind of the funny thing it's not it's not a calculator like it's a natural language generator um but the other funny thing about it is that you can augment these this is this is one of the main things i wanted to talk about in this context of this discussion but also in risks is that you can augment these things with tools you can augment these llms with tools just as humans augment their capacities with tools and at that point when there's a tool available what's important is knowing when to use the tool and knowing how to use the tool and Those are easier things than doing whatever the tool does if the tool is sufficiently complex. And once you meet that threshold where it's able to do those things, then it becomes quite a bit more powerful. Humans, obviously, a great deal of our power to uh, elicit change in the world is a function of our capacity to build and use tools. And so, one of—I don't know if you want to talk about this now—but one of the things I've been doing over the past few days is using—I've been using an open-source package called LangChain, which some people criticize. Uh, I know, but uh, it, I was introduced to it, and I've been using it. It's sort of a—it's um, a layer that can um, is an intermediary between the LLM and either open-source or uh, you can use APIs for OpenAI and the user and. It allows you to um, modify the the flow, the workflow between the LLM and the user. So you can like break a prompt up. You can modify like the chain of of inputs. You can modify how the prompting works. What in, in this case, what I've been doing is trying to get it to use a tool. So in this case, Wolfram Alpha, which is a a very powerful you know math tool. Yeah. Um, and so there's a couple of different ways you can approach it. One is you can just explicitly tell it to use the tool, right? You can just say, um, here's a prompt, here's a question, use this tool, generate an answer. And it will do that. And it will generate usually the right answer if it's a, you know, simple math problem. Another thing you can do is, is put in a layer that just says, Whatever prompt I give you, try to figure out uh, if you need to use a tool to answer this, okay, which is a little bit, that's quite a bit harder, right? (laughs) And so um, in this case, I tried that, so I did that, and I was using uh, GPT 3.5 Turbo, and it didn't do a great job of that. It didn't do a great job of figuring out when it needed. So one of the things uh, that happens is if you don't – when you ask it – when you use this, um, the software, uh, if you don't put in a number of tries, what I, what I got – it got caught up in a loop for me. I, I asked it a math question, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it, it, uh, it sort of asks a question to itself. Do I need to use a tool to solve this problem? And it will say Yes. And then if yes, it, it uses the tool, and it spit it out, and it kept doing that. It just kept doing yes, 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 and and I had to stop it because it was it got caught in a loop like ten okay. times. So you can you there's a parameter called max iterations, and you can say ask yourself if you need to use a tool maximum twice, right? And if you can't figure it out by then, then just don't uh, basically, or or if you do, then do. So anyway. It was funny because the first iteration, it said, yes, I need to use a tool, and I could see the internal stuff. It wasn't the direct output, but it was the output of Langxian, and it and it had the correct answer. And then the second iteration, it said, no, I don't need a tool, and it tried to answer it on its own, and it got it wrong, and it output the wrong answer. So <laughs> that was kind of a failure. So the model needs to be smart enough to know when it needs to use the tool, and if it reaches that threshold then um basically it's got all the capacities of whatever that tool set have, right? Like if it's smart yeah. enough.
1: Well, yeah. I mean it also has to figure out how to use the tool properly, right? Yeah. Like I don't I don't know what you're actually I mean if the input isn't broken out as just like, you know, X plus Y equals five, graph this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if it's if you're if you if you just are sort of describing some word problem where like, you know, oh I've got like this much pain. I need to be, you know, have a wall this big and it's in this house and then like, you know, use Wolfram Alpha to right. figure that out. Like it's gotta it's gonna have to do a whole bunch of processing just to figure out how to get the right input to Wolfram Alpha. Right. Um, but if it could if you could get to where it could do that and identify that it needs to use it and then use Wolfram Alpha's output properly to then generate a language based response, you know, not just, you know, a number, but like actually explain what the number is in the units and mm-hmm. whatever else. Um yeah, that would be Pretty uh, pretty powerful. I, I mean, given what it's doing already, that doesn't seem like that big a leap. No. Well, so I tried it with the DaVinci model.
0: There's a number of different models, and I don't, I haven't read enough into them to know all the different capacities. There's the DaVinci is one of their more sophisticated models that you have access to with the API, and I don't know the differences between its capacities with G, with GPT 3.5 Turbo. I have signed up to be on the waiting list for GPT 4. I'm pretty interested in seeing. Because I hear a lot of things, you know, and so. But anyway, Da Vinci was able to figure it out. It was able to not get caught in a loop. It was able, no matter how many iterations I did, it it always correctly identified when to use the tool and output the correct answer. At least for that particular problem. I'm not saying it will do that on all problem on all math problems. Yeah. But the Da Vinci model was was very sound at that. And so yes, it it feels like it made me think of you know, in the, in the lineage of human evolution, it made me think uh, there's a, there's a species uh, now extinct, obviously called Homo habilis, which means uh, handyman. And I think it's because it's associated with uh, an era of, I think, stone tools. Um, anyway. Uh, so basically, you know, if we've got, AI habilis, right? Um, we get up to a threshold where you know humans are making tools for this thing. There's a, there's the whole possibility that thing starts making tools for itself. Or I mean, I have seen a little bit of that, but I, I'm not sure we're there yet. But the the baseline is if the tool, if human built tools exist, and the and the system has a capacity to identify when to use them and how to use them most of the time um it's just going to massively augment its capabilities right obviously uh it doesn't have to be just like hu- like hu- your average human doesn't can't multiply you know six digit numbers in their head or whatever um because we don't need to because we built tools to offload all that stuff right yep. and and but we have that we have all those capacities because of our tools so if that's another thing too it's like i feel like a lot of the critics look at look at the weaknesses so called weaknesses of these things and can't imagine even half a step forward, right? Like, yeah, it's very
1: well. Yeah, the basic math, like the, the criticisms of not doing math just seem like incredibly short sighted because, like, yeah, this it needs a calculator, it'll get a calculator. Yeah, it has right. a calculator. I did, I yesterday I built yeah. a
0: calculator, I didn't build a calculator, I integrate, right. I built a uh, software that integrated in a calculator. I didn't test it yeah. on every known math problem, but it worked. Yeah, I.
1: And yet, yeah. there were articles where that was a serious criticism that, like, this is just like a fundamental flaw in language models that they're never going to be able to right. get yes. past it, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it, it, the criticisms of it do seem just bafflingly short-sighted. Well, not all lazy. of
0: them, but some of them, particularly that one. Ones where it seems yeah, yeah. like the there are very, very obvious steps that haven't been taken, Multimodality uh integration of tools that are gonna that would just resolve some of the the problems or the the short the shortcomings the capacities that you think it maybe should have which again are <laughs> it's if it's trained as a natural language generation well there's no like OpenAI has the caveats on its site that this is not everything this thing says is not true because that's not what it was built to do. It wasn't built to be a truth teller. It was built to generate text based on input, based on its training set. And it does that incredibly well. And it does things that they didn't even foresee that it would do beyond that. So anyway. Uh, Number three on... uh, Sorry, number two on weaknesses is hallucinations, which is related to that, right? Like, so it makes stuff up, but it's kind of weird because that capacity is what gives it a creative capacity too, right? Like, that's what makes it good at writing poems and stories and things like that because those are not real or factual uh, or whatever so i can see basically the models being trained down different paths and tuned for different functions and you know a lot of that's a function of uh the data but also the feedback that it gets and i mean so if you want a storytelling llm I'm sure, you know, one that's designed specifically for storytelling that you don't ever rely on to tell you anything true, but just makes up, you know, writes the best fantasy novels you've ever read or whatever. You probably can, I'm sure, do that. And if you want one that, you know, only gives you factual information or primarily gives you factual information, and that goes back into the tools too, right? We can see how we might incorporate tools into a fact quote-unquote, a, tr- a truth-telling LLM to get it, t- to help it verify, right? Like, yeah. in real time. Like, it, if it's just relying on sources it's trained on, like, no academic does that, right? No academic is just, oh, I just believe whatever, I, uh, you know, somebody asked me a question about something, right. they go double-check. So, uh, web tools are another thing. You can integrate into this thing. You can integrate um, data sets and, and web tools and have an you know, again, that's not gonna be perfect. There's nothing perfect not like this thing is gonna never make a mistake in the world, but it's gonna be able to double and triple check its answers before it spits them out with other with other sources, right? Yeah. And higher quality sources, or you know, so anyway. Um Yeah, I put here as a weakness trade off with of capabilities and sensitivity to controversial topics like capacity versus I guess being PC. We kinda already talked about that that's kind of in the same ballpark, right, where you can tune it, whatever. Uh, and then I also have inability yeah. to evaluate the quality of information on its own. We already kind of talked about that. You could augment that with tools. Um, anyway, so I don't know. I don't know if you had any other thoughts on capacities. We talked about that for quite a while now, but um, or lack of capacities. Yeah,
1: so the, a couple of notes that I made um, – So we talked a little bit earlier about like sort of whether or not, you know, the the fact that this lends credence to the argument that language is the fundamental building block of at least human intelligence or at least like the the leap of intelligence that happens between like the smartest non-human animal and humans might just be language. Like that might be the key thing that gave us a a big boost. And And it seems to be a key thing at least in the ai models that we have seen so far in the world like there seems to be a big leap from everything we have before in these new LLMs, um and which which makes you wonder like is that actual like is that what happened in evolution right like is that was that was language the big leap that um and i've read sort of like Theories either way, whether like there was some like sort of leap in human intelligence which led to language, or like language was kind of like the first thing and then that led to the leap in intelligence. Um, but the the evolution of AI models seems like like to the fact that maybe language actually was that that thing. Um, and I don't know. I, I I don't know like how how whether we'll able ever be able to determine that since language the earliest language was way before the earliest recorded language. So it's, it's very difficult to kind of go back and archaeologically determine. Well, the happened.
0: way I, the, uh, the first thing that pops in my mind is that it would, if you had an existence proof, if you had a system that wasn't, had no language capacity, as far as we could tell, but was still able to do, you know, a lot of other quote unquote, intelligent tasks, solve problems, yes. solve, you know, accomplish goals and all of these sorts of things without without the linguistic capacity i mean there are people who have tried to build such systems i wouldn't i wouldn't rule them out completely but yeah maybe so the other thing is that it wasn't language it was you should know this better anybody It was an obelisk and uh it was it was picking up like a, a taper bone or whatever and figuring out that it was uh that was the big leap that was the first big leap that's right figuring out that uh yeah
1: it was, it was, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that argument was that tools yeah. was the big. There's like, different, there's the, for um, so the
0: advent of intelligence, yes, there's, um, a lot of people it link to diet, right? Which it, these things aren't all separable, right? Either language allows you to, to right. coordinate for hunting or to, uh, coordinate for gathering as well, gathering fruits, vegetables, whatever, maybe make primitive horticulture yeah. easier. Oh, well, yeah. There's the sort of
1: like, you know, just, more optimally ga- gaining and consuming energy to just make right, our brains right. bigger, which that to me that's sort of like kind of parallel to like even if that was the core thing, but what was the what was the actual was it was it just purely the brains getting bigger, just getting more capacity, or was there some like qualitative change like language or tool use that was. Um, that led to a yeah. Big leap. I took some anthropology course, um, you know, um,
0: anthropology courses uh, back in uh, as an undergrad, and I don't know what the current consensus is on some of these things. As far as I remember, a lot of these things, it, it's it, different people have different theories because there's different. Um, a lot of these things kind of evolved at the same time. Like the the upright posture sort of freed up our hands for tool use. Um, right. And it's very inefficient biologically, and you get you know it makes your heart work harder to pump blood to your brain, and
1: it exposes your vital organs to, to attacks. Yeah. Well, supposedly the original motivation for that was just to be able to see over the grass, right? That's like one theory.
0: You know, it could be that being that being freed up, your hands being freed up for tool use or so carrying just carrying items, not even using tools, but you know, carrying berries back to the yep. cave or whatever is uh, like I I don't know I I don't know. I, My general sense, though, is that the different, several different innovations that led to the the intelligence explosion in humans happened relatively within the same time frame. But I, I could be wrong about that. So, so you're like you say, it's hard to, it's hard to really nail down something. I don't know how much these LLMs provide evidence for. It's an interesting idea for, for the idea that language is the, like the, you know, the framework, the underlying framework for much higher yeah. level cognition. But it certainly doesn't. Yeah.
1: Well, so the, another thing that, I don't know, again, this is all just sort of like intuitive response to a lot of the, the new stories. It, it isn't like a, a hardcore analysis of it, but, the, uh, there was that, you know, GPT-4 is smarter than you think okay. video that, that we referenced that um, talked about sort of like it was kind of focused on like some of the types of problems that GPT gets wrong, like math problems and sort of asking the question in a different way that taught GPT to sort of like break the problem down and kind of answer to multiple steps and like kind of have a conversation with itself to work it through which seems pretty clearly analogous to, like, our inner voice and the, the way that we think. Like, a lot of times when we're figuring something out, we are having a conversation in our head and we're kind of, like, bouncing back and forth and, like, we come up with an idea and then we come up with reasons that that idea is wrong and then see if we get past it. So, um, so it's clearly something that we do, but is that the actual core of logical reasoning? Like, is that... Is that basically the way logical reasoning arose was by us learning how to, like we, like the the pure language model on itself or the pure sort of like just kind of like feed forward neural network, you know, analysis of a problem wasn't enough to solve certain types of problems. But as soon as we sort of learned to kind of like bounce back and forth, that that led to the ability to break a problem down and solve smaller problems and, and, and then build that up into solving bigger problems from them. Um, Right.
0: So I have seen, I was watching a debate with Connor Leahy and another guy about AI risk, which again, I want to talk about pretty soon here. But um, his opponent in the debate was criticizing um, prompt, this notion of prompt engineering as just leading the system to the correct answer kind of kind of like you know i guess you have a, you maybe you have a student the analogy is maybe you have a uh, you know a student is like
1: leading the witness yeah leading
0: the witness but he's just like sort of feeding them the answer and you know in a in a in a sense but <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense if the way in which you're modifying the if you do the prompt contains information that is relevant to solve the problem, I can see that being a criticism. But if all you're doing is provide so for example, if you say something like, if you present one of these models a multiple choice question and it's and say what's the right answer and it's and it spits out an answer and it gets it wrong. And but then you input it again and you say you are a student taking a test and you're being presented with a multiple choice question, something like that, which is the context that any student would have sitting in a test center taking right. tests. test. Um, and if that somehow improves the answer, I don't I don't see how that's cheating. Uh, yeah, that's not a cheat. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. As long as you. Well, yeah, if it's if there's nothing specific to that question, if it's something that's sort of just like the a generic framing of the question that um, right. you can build into it. And if it's um, like, if it's automatable, right. right? Like, which, which is what this, this video does basically. Right. It just like wrote a little script that like took whatever question you had, wrapped it up in, break this problem down into multiple steps right. and you know whatever, like a few, like kind of just can. So
0: specifically you're talking about um, GPT is smarter than we think is the name of the video. AI explained is the channel on YouTube. Yeah. I would encourage everybody to check that out. Um, so Explicitly, what he did was he generated candidate answers. Uh, in this case, three. He would ask the system a question three times, get three answers, and then the intermediate step was criticism. He would have, he would feed those answers into the system and ask it for to find logical flaws, uh, or fallacies, or whatever problems with the ans with each of the answers. Then, for the third step, he'd have what he called a resolver, I believe. And would feed in the questions, answers, and criticisms and say, Your job is to figure out what the best answer is given the choices and the criticisms. Take that and then improve it, improve the answer. So that was the whole flow, right? And none of that is specific, contains specific information about any particular type of problem. It may be amenable to certain types of problems. But then this to me goes back to to the discussion on tools. This makes it more like a tool. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a study guide or a, or a, a question answering guide for any that's a template for any kind of not any kind, but yeah. a broad range of questions. and it's not giving any specific information about any. So to me, that's another it's like you could package that that whole prompt template up and make a tool out of it and integrate it just like with wolfram alpha and yep. say do you are try to figure out whether or not this improved workflow is going to help you solve this problem and then you know if it if it thinks it needs to use it it uses it yeah. and
1: which is exactly like you said exactly what humans yeah. do right like whenever we're presented with a problem and it's a hard problem you know we will often... uh you know, break it down in smaller parts. Come at it from different angles, kind of you know, ask it in a different way. Like, well, we'll we'll. I mean, if you're mature enough, and if you, you you'll you'll do that yourself. But for like you know, kids, we're, we're teaching how to do things. You will teach them how to break down a problem, how to you know, even even the whole thing of like like stepping away from a problem and then coming back at it fresh, right? Which is like maybe a little bit analogous to sort of asking, it's feeding its response back to itself mm-hmm. and having it you know respond to that. there's all
0: sorts of test taking strategies too like in, on math tests i'm sure you, I don't have to tell you this but if it's multiple choice and you're given answers one thing you can do is take the answers and like plug them in right,
1: right. There, there's just test each four of them instead of trying to just come up with the answer and then right because the sometimes yeah. you'd work
0: out the problem and it's like none of them and you're like oh okay well i did something wrong and i wasted some time so right. that sometimes is a strategy as well, but again, I don't. Th- I wouldn't see that as a
1: cheat of any, you know, un- <laughs> like if you're te- if well certainly not if the yeah if you're asking it a question that isn't the form of it you know a a, um, a test question which like I guess if you're if you're saying like oh all we did was build something that can you know solve the SAT. Um, but these shot models are much more than that. They're able to do that, but they're also able to have conversations. Right. right? Like, it, it is a pretty but general. Even purpose if you. Mo- model.
0: There's some criticism in the sense that when they t- when they do some of these benchmarkings, they do multiple shots, too. They'll do like a five shot, right? And they'll take the best yep. answer or something like that. So, which, whatever. We could argue the merits of the criticism of that. But I think if you build a suite of, of tools, like if you built. The, like a lawyer or a paralegal or whoever, somebody's taking the LSAT, a law student, you can't tell me they don't have a, a set of cognitive tools that they bring into the LSAT that they've learned. I mean, I don't know how many yeah. people graduate law school, don't study for the LSAT at all, go in on a one-shot and pass it. I'm guessing it's a pretty small right. number. But anyway, if you develop a suite of, of tools and, and the system is smart and is capable enough to determine when it needs to use tools and on a particular test and it you know this thing is it's I feel like within it within a relatively short amount of time we're going to see this thing just uh, unambiguous I mean there's still people who are nitpicking but just unambiguously uh, mastering every every arena of human you know knowledge and (laughs) so like Anyway, so they they well they can keep nitpicking, but it's you know it's gonna it's gonna be meanwhile it's gonna be solving problems and you know helping people with their health and with their work and everything else. Or so it's gonna be putting some people out of work. We'll see. This might be a good yeah. unless you had other points to talk about risks. Um, and
1: now the other, yeah, just one little thing. It would be kind of I haven't seen anybody kind of go back in time and compare this to other like big leaps. Like, I've, just, I've seen some things before, like, you know, criticisms of, like, you know, how, like, cars are never going to replace horses or, mm-hmm. you know, like... Or even, like, the beginning of computer development, there was, you know, like, they were, they were just like, oh, these are just, like, they're just, you know, big calculators. They're never going to, you mm-hmm. know, really change anybody's lives. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm sure there are all kinds of examples throughout history where, like, the early the early examples of some leap in technology were met with what are, in retrospect, just ridiculously short-sighted criticisms.
0: Yes. Now, you don't want... I, I mean, I'm fully aware that you can go the other direction, too, right? Like, you can fall into hype
1: train and... Sure. There, well, I mean, there's the whole... I'm... Uh, well, and the history of AI is littered with hype... unwarranted hype trains, yes. right?
0: Well, and then there's the whole... There's the whole singularity movement, which... I I have to admit, I've always kind of made fun of, and it it seems more plausible now than it did. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I'm but, with
1: you. I I always thought it was going to be more iterative, and this right now seems like a really well big
0: leap. the aspect of the singularity where it's th- of the singularity people, the, the the followers of the the strong adherents that I still take exception to is just the unbridled optimist types the ones who think it's like gonna be a utopian panacea it's just gonna vastly improve everything about everything um which i think is completely unwarranted um and probably highly unlikely i don't think but anyway back to the earlier point i I think you can i don't want to i don't want to not it's hard to calibrate. It's hard to calibrate um, how to think about these systems in a way that's not. You don't want to. Uh, like I say, I try to look for things that are criticisms to sort of ground to ground me. Nine times out of ten, or most of the time, I see strawmanning and just strawmanning just weak, limp uh, arguments, moving the goalposts, things that are just fallacies. Yeah. Um, that there's some there's some legitimate criticism, and but and then I don't want to go the other way where I'm just like, oh, these things uh, can do; they're basically going to replace humans next month. They are yeah. whatever.
1: Oh yeah, there's absolutely valid criticisms. There's actually, there's absolutely like you know significant limitations that they have now. But like, like my main issue is that like I've read a lot of art, articles that are like trying to sort of explain this to the masses. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of like trying to summarize the entirety of like what this is happening, and they are like almost entirely focused on the limitations and 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 on like and, and criticizing other people who are saying like what a big accomplishment it is, mm-hmm. and like and to me this is just unequivocally a huge accomplishment, a huge leap. Um, yeah, there are problems with it, but like the 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 big headline here is like something major is happening, as has happened, yeah, and is about to happen. Hold
0: on just a sec. Um Yeah, so Yes, that is the big that is the big headline. I think this is way more significant than it is insignificant. I don't know the the thing to me what it's what it's what the last six months have done to my brain, or nine months or so, because um, I didn't think we talked about this a little bit before. I, I didn't think it was possible to talk about for a system to intelligently discuss concepts without grounding in the physical world. Without, I don't know that they necessarily needed embodiment, but that they but that there was too much information. Yeah. the world that was at least need
1: multiple modes
0: yeah there would need to be a multimodal system of some kind because you know I read uh, Pinker's The Stuff of Thought which was I remember I'm pretty sure that was the book that talked about, about this when you you know you hold a bale of hay right like you when you from interacting with objects in the real world you get all that you get all that information about how about the physics you get you develop a folk physics right folk psychological physics about how things move in the world, how the properties of things in the world, that I didn't think language was rich enough to capture on its own. And so I was wrong about that. And a lot of people were wrong about that. And that's surprising. And to me, that increases the uncertainty about the speed of development of systems like this, the capacities of systems like this. And so... You don't want to overcorrect and say they're going to be able to do anything. They're going to be super intelligent, you know, galaxy brain AIs, you know, in six months or whatever. But it would also be foolish to (laughs) undercorrect and not be like, well, so to me, I don't, there, there there's certain things that I still know about the world and about humans that give me great pause and give me, um, that make me worry about the existential risk. The near term, there's all sorts of the sort of more, uh, the the non-existential risks of AI that people have talked about. Misinformation, losing jobs, economic disruption, uh, using them f- as weapons that are not, you know, apocalyptic grade weapons, but are still, uh, you know, to, to develop, a t- to militarize them, to use them as... Uh, in attacks or terrorist acts or these sorts of things. Um, there's all of those, but then there's also, I think I think the existential risks have to be taken seriously. I think there's serious people like Stuart Russell and Jeffrey Hinton who who think these are serious, and I don't think they're just doing it to sell books or, I don't think they're discussing these things just for the press. I think they actually really believe these things. There are uh, people like Yudkowsky that people, Seem more alarmist and people dismiss because he seems, you know, uh, because he's too alarmist. He's just sort of seems like a chicken little screaming at the top of his lungs. But I think it's wrong to ignore those and dismiss those sorts of things as well, given. And to me, it's not based on certainty about what will or won't happen. It is based on uncertainty. Largely, The, the unknown variables to me mean that I, it's hard to gauge. The fact, the fact is many, many, many people in the AI community, many computer scientists and AI researchers were surprised by the capacities of this. There's a small contention of people. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, even people working like in, the, like the fact that like a lot of like software engineers are surprised, but the people like working on, like someone like Hinton, who's like, this has been his entire life, right? Like he's like the godfather of AI, right? Like he, he, He's uh, got to be as on top of like the latest technologies, anybody, and he was surprised by how fast it developed, right? Like, yeah. it caught him off guard a little bit. I see
0: people saying, "Oh, Hinton was washed up, and he was just it was just like an honorary position at Google, all this kind of stuff."
1: But I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's true.
0: Uh, Stuart Russell. Well, even if
1: I mean, even if he was like past his prime or what, like he's he's still like way more on top of the latest technology than like ninety nine point nine percent of the world. Like, yes. you know, like than any journalist or even just like your average software developer. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah, like the fact that he was surprised by it and, and not just him, like others in the industry, other, others working in AI are are like saying like, Hey, you know, this is, we've been doing a lot of amazing things for a while, but this is a bigger This is a bigger leap and this is moving very fast and we don't understand how it works. Right. Like, the people who are experts, the people who are working on it don't actually understand exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah, so you can... There's a couple of different layers. You can say at some level you understand how it works. Like, at some level I understand how these systems work. Sure, yeah, we
1: understand what neural networks are and yes. why they kind of work. But, like, the but like the things we talk about, like, oh, does it have an internal model of the world? We don't really know. It right. kind of acts like it does, but it doesn't seem like it should based on the technology.
0: How is it, um, how is it able to... T- to dis- to converse about itself in an intelligible way, though. right? Self,
1: yeah. Some sort of like self model. We don't know about that. Um, the you know the fact that it seems to have some sort of multimodal multimodal understanding without multimodal training. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. No, we don't. We yeah. We don't. Uh, w- we've built a we've built systems now that are. I don't know. We probably understand human brains better in some capacities than these, even though these systems are a lot simpler in a lot of ways. Um, you know, like there's been a lot of work to map out um, the vis- the areas of the visual cortex and how they do what they do. And even though biological neurons are a lot more complex, um, we may. I mean, I don't know. That's up for debate whether we understand human brains better than these things, um, yeah, but
1: actually, that's kind of a good example. At least for sort of my own sort of you know evolution of under you know, kind of understanding. This is like when the when the earliest um, visual models came out that were really powerful, like ten or fifteen years ago, where you know where you could just go and like search for pictures of dogs and it would find pictures of dogs, uh-huh. like it, like without having to have them like be labeled like historically you would search for a picture of dog and it would find all the pages that had the word dog on it and a picture. But now it actually is analyzing the images itself and able to identify a dog, which is a really, really complex problem, but it was able to do that. Yeah. But that at least seemed very analogous to the way the human visual cortex worked, the way these models were kind of like broken down. And the fact that you had multiple layers and some were like identifying edges and some were of, of identifying shapes and mm-hmm. um, like it, it seemed like our understanding of the human visual cortex was consistent with the way this was working. And so we kind of understood what it was doing and how it was working and how it was able to be as robust as it was. I don't feel like we have that understanding at all about the current language models. And it doesn't seem like they were trained or architected in the same way as the human mind very closely, other than just being a large neural network.
0: Yeah. Um, There's this- but they
1: aren't, they don't learn the same way that a baby learns, right? Like, Babies don't like learn one language and then immediately are able to absorb like you know five hundred other languages right away like and and just sort of apply that existing you know knowledge to it. Um, well, and even the basic like um, back propagation learning, mm-hmm. we're not sure is analogous to the way you know human no. well learning. We works know or in, weight adjustments
0: in the we know it in the sense that it is a supervise it's a supervised training method. Back propagation is supervised. Yep. We, You get an activation. The activation flows through the network. You get the outputs. You get an error signal. You compare desired output to actual output. You get an error signal. You propagate that back, back through the network to update the weights. That's a supervised training. We know right. there is a large amount of unsupervised training that goes on. Well, we know there's, an, there's a certain amount. I don't know <laughs> the extent, how much of human learning is unsupervised, but in the sense that we just... "Quote unquote," pick things up like exposure to uh, certain stimuli uh, just uh, adjust adjust the weights of, of particular networks in the brain, and we become f- uh, familiar with them. And that that's that's a form of learning that occurs. Or you have um, there's reinforcement learning. We know that they're doing some reinforcement learning on these things as well. But that's where you get you activate the network, you get an output. And then you get you get a reward signal, right? Like that—that's the kind of um, you reward the system by saying that's close to the kind of or that's that's the kind of output I want, or that's the kind of output I don't want, right? Which is different from it. You're not specifically adjusting the weights based on knowledge of the difference between the actual output and the desired output, right? It's a more indirect form of learning, right? And. So the extent of which the the different ratios of those make up the way humans learn, we know we know that um, learning in these LLMs is 100 percent supervised, right? And we don't know the extent. I don't think now,
1: we don't know that there are there could be some unsupervised steps in there that they just haven't advertised yet. If they
0: are there, they're not making that public, and I'm not aware of any. Um, there's there's a fair amount of like even though a fair amount of things that go on at open AI are proprietary. There's still a very, very active, um, academic there's, there's papers being published by yeah. Facebook and Google and, and academics everywhere. And I don't, I've not that it, it doesn't exist, but as far as I know, current LLMs are not, don't use any form of unsupervised learning. Okay. There's, I, I could be wrong, but if anybody, again, if anybody out there knows that, let us know for sure. There could be hybrid models, something like that. But as far as I know, they all use backprop, and then the reinforcement learning as an additional layer on top of that to make them behave nicer, right, and be more <laughs> apologetic or whatever. Um, but yes, so in that sense, well, there is still a possibility that that they they are functioning in a lot of ways like the human brain. Um, but yeah, we, we just don't know. So there's uncertainty around yeah. that. There's uncertainty around how they're doing. With yeah, what, we, we don't know what's
1: going on inside them. We certainly don't know that it's very similar to a human brain, but we do know that the process of training it and even just the overall architecture, I don't think was particularly modeled after the human brain, right? Like we didn't, I don't think there was a whole lot of like, oh, this is the way the human brain learns language and so we're going to architect our artificial model. I think it's just basically like a large multi-layer neural network that, that through trial and error they figured out the right architecture. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there well, has been more biological in- influence on it.
0: I'm not an expert on transformer architectures or anything like that, but there is an a there's an attentional mechanism. There's a aspect to these systems that and I don't know how inspired or analogous that is to attention in biological brains. But that's what they call it. <laughs> and so um, there are, yeah, it could, it could, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd go so far as to say these models are not, are like completely detached from inspiration and from analogy to human brains. I don't know. I think maybe in some cases they are explicitly, maybe, uh, I don't, I don't think they're completely detached. That's my general intuition. That they're that yeah. they weren't inspired at all, and that they. I were, think I it's safe to
1: say overall, though, that we don't understand these models, what these models are doing, how they're working, how they're able to do it so well, so fast, as well as we did the image models.
0: That is, uh, yeah, almost certainly true, and uh, you can't reverse engineer these things. They're in. They're. In, they're. Uh, yeah, they've they've grown in complexity and capacity to a point where we can't safely say. When I have a reverse
1: engineer, just diagnose them, debug them, right? Like when they make an error, right, right? The difference between them getting an error and getting it right, like we don't really understand why it does it. We just know that, like you throw it afraid data about it, it improves, right? Like that's about it,
0: right? And so it's, I don't think it's a complete black box, but it's pretty close to a black box, yeah. uh, and that's a problem. So we're uncertain about how it works. We're uncertain about. I see a lot of speculation about uh, diminishing returns for the just scaling training data and training architecture size. I see some of that coming out of OpenAI, and I don't know whether that's keeping their cards close to their chest or whether they're, uh, that's actually true. I don't know what the underlying, if there's, under, there's like solid theoretical analysis of why that would be the case, why we would get diminishing returns. I do see people saying we're running out of data but I also have seen some discussion of synthetic data, which is where the models create data for each other or for themselves and can be trained on that and how that's not completely intractable. Some people are like, well, that's just, you know, it's, it's eating its own garbage or whatever. But it, uh, I think there has been some headway on, on artificial data, right? Synthetic data in use in training that, could you know so when you
1: say running out of data you're talking about just text-based data and we certainly don't like the world is just a constant source of inputs that we could be training these things on right yeah and and there's and there's, and there's
0: new text i don't know the rate at which the web continues to grow from human uh produced content uh just text content it's, it may be very slow. I don't know, but yeah, no. that doesn't that doesn't sound right,
1: right? It doesn't. This whole
0: notion of running out of data doesn't seem like a
1: now. Well, now I mean there probably will be a challenge at some point where like if it's if it is getting constantly trained off of just stuff that's publicly available on the web, more and more of that will be generated by other AMI models. So there's this issue of it like right um, that happened. There was a famous example of that happened early on with. Um, translation models so I say Google Translate was one of the early um, like language translators and like um, what they found was like for some like particularly for some uh, like more rare languages or languages where there weren't as many speakers um, since it was constantly being trained on um, pages that were out there on the internet that were in multiple languages. Um, a lot of those at some point were generated by Google Translate or at least oh. other language models very similar to it. And All so right. it was like, it had to learn not to train on itself, which I think that basically it was, I mean, it's a pretty, it was a fairly simple thing to fix once the problem was identified because you just sort of like, you know, you, you generate an answer. And if it's like really, really close to this thing that's already out there, you don't bother training on it. Right. Um, so, um, but yeah, even. Like, once you learn to sort of filter that out, like, there's still so much data in the world and in the universe that, like, you know, like we could plug these things into telescopes. We could put them, you know, yeah. we could have drones flying all over the world just constantly gathering vid- visual data that's fed into these well, things. Like, we're not going so, to
0: Yeah, there's just other moda- biological modalities that we know there's sight and hearing and touch. And I don't know about taste, whether well, this thing needs taste or smell. Maybe smell would be good, detecting chemicals in the air. But then there's even non-human modalities, right? There's radio waves, microwave. There's a whole mm-hmm. electromagnetic spectrum. There's gravitation. Is like, you know, whatever. The sky's the limit. I did see there was um, a video called The AI Dilemma, which was by Tristan Harris and another guy. He did the uh, The Social Dilemma. It was on Netflix, I think. Anyway... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was a little bit sensationalized and it wasn't great, but it had some good stuff in it. And, and they talked about how um, LLMs are exposing the fact that, pretty sort of, the languageification, I don't know if that's a word, but like exposing everything as sort of a language, right? That we can't, we, we've got a, a time variant sequence that has structure and has a certain quote unquote grammar to it. And if this thing learned, like, that's the case. Uh, For natural languages, for computer languages, but also pretty much any kind of data, stock market data, you know, any kind of data about the world, natural data could be sort of viewed as a language. And this thing learns the, you know, the language of seismic waves or something, right? Or the language of solar radiation or something. You could view things that way. And if, and if there, that is kind of, it's interesting because you were talking about the possibility that language is a universal sort of reasoning engine, but it is also possible that it's the sort of the universal language of the
1: universe. The
0: la- yeah. language... I'll certainly that... have
1: life at least, but yeah, maybe even beyond that.
0: So anyway, um, yeah, the idea that we would run out of data seems kind of ludicrous when we start expanding the modalities to this thing it could be that you still get diminishing returns because it doesn't buy you anything, you know? But I would find that very, very hard to believe. I would find it very, very hard yeah. to believe that...
1: Well, but, it, like, it seems like the point that we've, like, get diminishing returns is when it's, like, mastered all human knowledge. which like, it's a pretty fucking big accomplishment, right? Like, like yeah. if the downside of that is, like, oh, it doesn't have any more headroom, like, well, yeah, no shit. Like, it's it's the smartest any human ever all put together.
0: Right, well, so the one thing thing we haven't i mean not the one thing but one thing we haven't really seen yet as a result i mean gpt GPT gpt4 was released in march they had it you know in their labs or whatever for probably a year before that we haven't seen novel solutions now you did you did see uh recently who was the did the work on the um the optimization of the sorting algorithm do you know who did the work on that
1: was that i don't yeah i don't remember who that was um but yeah, so that one was so the, the headline on that one was that the uh, AI um, generated a new optimization for a sorting algorithm. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, sorting algorithms are, the, are these they're, they're like one of the most fundamental building blocks of like you know a lot of like you know software engineering and uh, uh, algorithm libraries. Um, they're they're used extensively. So like. They're a problem that, like, most people consider, like, already a solved problem, but, like, we pretty much think that we already have, like, the most optimal sorting algorithms developed, because it's, like, it's something that computer science has been working on for, like, 100 years already. Um, and and even, like, a really, really small optimization is really powerful because they use so often, Right. you know, like, that even if you you improve it, like, you know, 0.001%, it could save, like, you know, millions of dollars a day or whatever, because, like, every computer in the world is using these things. Um. Anyway, they they, they they this AI actually figured out an optimization for it, and the headline for it actually sounded like it actually like developed a new uh, algorithm, which I would not say is actually what it did. But what it did do is it it basically it looked like it was working actually at the assembly language level, and so it basically had like you know these like you know very simple machine code instructions, and it figured out that at like some point in the sequence. If I understand it correctly, it was doing a comparison. It was doing like if A is less than B, but it actually figured out that A was always less than B when it reached that point in the calculation. And so it was able to just like skip that step, hmm. skip skip a redundant step.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, it, it did seem like, even though the headline was maybe a little bit overblown, that it was like a really cool application of it and a, and a pretty powerful thing that was able to do an optimization that a lot of people probably didn't even think was even like there was even any more juice to squeeze out of that orange, right? Like that, like that we'd already kind of like gotten that as good as it it could be. Um, and, but that's a very different type of application of this than a language model or a, you know, conversation bot.
0: Sure. Um, what, what I was going to say was that we haven't seen a lot of AI driven breakthroughs yet. And maybe it's just way too early for that. Um, you know, it's it. We've just seen you know a massive. It's hard to measure, but it just like a massive productivity increase in in humans. I don't know what Wait, are you talking it. about. Just
1: like since Japanese chat GPT or like just over the last several decades.
0: Well, GPT four again was released in um, the state. The state of the art, as far as I know, is is GPT four, and it was released in March, I believe. Uh, certainly this year chad gpt was last november but um so as far as i know like this thing will these systems produce have produced tons of novel um prose and poetry and screenplays and these sorts of things which probably are mostly not very good because people haven't you know worked out good workflows and they aren't tuned for those things specifically so it's expressed originality in those things, but as far as I know, we haven't. It's like we haven't seen, and I don't know that it would. It's even reasonable to expect this, but we haven't seen a bunch of new mathematical proofs solved, or new drugs developed, or new whatever, new innovations as a result of this. And it could just be that it's it's not it's not it's built for the the capacities of it are just to massively expand the the capacities of of hum of Regular humans, like developing a new drug or uh, solving a new proof or something is something that an exceptional human would do, right? Like somebody who (laughs) – like to solve an unsolved uh, mathematical proof is something that 0.001% of the population maybe has the capacity to do at this point, right? So maybe it's not reasonable to assume a system that wasn't designed to do that per se – you know, could, could have done that or assisted a human in doing that. Um, But anyway, like, when are we going to, we haven't seen yet superhuman. We've seen, seen superhuman competencies, but we haven't seen superhuman accomplishments in any, you know, widespread for sure. Uh, Anyway.
1: So I don't know if those are. Well, I mean, if we widen to look, well, I'm not sure exactly what you're, yeah it, when you're talking about like discoveries or whatever like i mean i we certainly have tools now that we just take for granted that would have seemed amazing 20 or 30 years ago like google okay. translate right the fact that you can just type anything in any language and immediately get a good translation of it right and we've had that for like 10 or 15 years now right right um, and these
0: llms duplicate that too just as right. part of right oh, the yeah, they,
1: yeah they they're that on steroids like they you know, but like right. um but i just like we have seen Like, I mean, that could be considered like a superhuman thing, right? Like, it used to take, like, there was no, like, single human translator that could do every language as good as Google Translate does now.
0: No. And that's, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not arguing, fairly recently. I'm not arguing that the current um, uh, breakthroughs in LLMs are not, don't have superhuman capacities. Um, But you're talking about
1: actually sort of like a new discovery, like a, a new, uh,
0: well, if because the uh, the people who are making the claim that these things are an existential threat or are, are dangerous, their case would be bolstered by the systems, you know, exhibiting behavior that humans cannot. I mean, I mean, they do right. No human can uh, can do all the things that one of these systems can do. But to like solving a problem. An outstanding problem
1: that that humans they have solved Solve Fermat's solve. not last theorem or something so that right. humans have been working on forever
0: and haven't even made a Well, yeah. Did they solve Fermat's last theorem? I thought maybe they did the last couple of years or something, but I could be wrong. Anyway, something like that, yes. Yeah. Poincare's conjecture. I don't remember which ones are still left around to be solved, but um Anyway, maybe that's just a function of time and that's a function of like you can't, it would be unrealistic to just open up your chat GPT page and say, what's the cure for cancer and expect it to, you know, pop it out or whatever. Um, but is, I mean, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me if we start to see things like that, maybe. Um, I don't know if you have intuitions about that, but. Um.
1: now, well, and this kind of goes back to the whole, like, these things are just so inscrutable. Like. I, I don't know what to expect, right? Like I mean I, I have been like really impressed with the advances that it's made in the last, you know, six months or so. Um but yeah, we don't we don't understand exactly how they're working. And they do at least seem to be starting to do things that are human level and even, you know, maybe superhuman in some ways. Um So, yeah. so we both yeah. also
0: watched this video on intelligence explosion, I believe, which was if we get... So I was we were talking earlier about the um, sort of a tool feedback loop where anything that takes existing systems... Because these systems themselves, even if they hit some sort of diminishing returns for capacity by themselves, if they've reached a level where they can it continue to improve with the incorporation of tools, then that seems a way to me to break beyond the any diminishing returns from training or yeah. architecture. Um, but then there's also, if you get into any kind of self-improvement loop, right? So tools are one possible avenue for a self-improvement loop. Another potential is that it starts writing, it starts either building its own tools this is not a completely black or white area, or it starts modifying its own its own internal its own software. Um, the other thing that it could do is potentially uh, I'm not arguing it has anywhere near this capacity now is is build a is replicate, but replicate in a way that's not that's either you know more compressed or a different architecture that allows itself to. Be more extensible, or or whatever. Like I don't know, but <laughs> the thing is, if it if it gets in a, if it gets in a self improvement loop, either by yeah. identifying and using tools or by modifying itself, a tool. You know, we normally think of a tool as something that's still distinct from the user, although there maybe there's a blurred line there. Um, but it would be more akin to us because like we build and use our own tools, and that greatly enhances our capacities. But if we had an easy way to modify our genetics, we're just kind of starting to understand that. But, like, if it were relatively easy for us to go in and grow an additional arm or, you know, whatever, or even grow, like, replacement organs, uh, that's maybe more like tool use. But if we had a way to modify our genome to increase our capacities, our strength, our intelligence, our sense of smell, whatever— in a way where that where that cycle that self-improvement cycle were fairly rapid you could see our capacities kind of going increasing exponentially right yep. and it's but it's harder for us right because we're sort of bound by the biology Yep. um we could do in vivo genetic mutations that sort of propagate through the organism and Cause changes in the lifetime of the organism, rather than just improving our babies and waiting for them to grow up and be super strong, or see if they're super strong, or whatever. But this thing, these kind of systems don't have to wait; they don't have those limitations, right? Like right. these self-improvement loops can be much, 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 much faster. And so,
1: yep.
0: you know, again, I well, and I also like I when you build really, a new
1: model, like it can immediately have like all of the memories of the previous model like even if you like train up a new, you know, a new version mm-hmm. of ChatGPT like it's it's very easily going to have everything that the previous one had and more as opposed to, you know, human evolution which requires like, you know, an entire development cycle of a baby to get like even up to close to what its parents are. Right. Um so I don't know
0: how clo- how far away we are from self-improvement loops of any kind, but that's also to me seems like a failure of imagination among critics, where they don't seem to understand how. They, so, for the singularity, they talk about um, slow takeoff and fast takeoff, rapid takeoff, whatever for the singularity. Like when when we go into that curve and how fast things change, and it would just seem to me that like if we if these systems are able to develop, if they re, if they like I say, it didn't really drive it home. A lot of times, like when I, when I was messing with evolutionary algorithms, when I first started um, coding them, there were things I didn't really understand until I started seeing, you know, actually developing the logic form and seeing them in action and stuff like that, right? It really drives things home. Me messing around with integrating tools into these systems really kind of drove things home for me. I didn't really understand this. Like watching it sort of make the decision to about whether or not to use a tool and these sorts of things and and I'm like oh okay when it comes to using a calculator it's there like it's there it we have it has the better models have the capacity to recognize I need a tool I need tool X here to solve this problem this or this type of problem and so that doesn't seem that far away from me that seems very very close to a self improvement feedback loop where there's thousands of tools or millions of tools sitting around that can enhance various aspects of this thing's Mm capacity, these kinds of systems capacities. And it just has to try them out one by one. You know, it's just a matter of like identifying the right tool for the right job or the right set of tools for the right set of jobs and picking them up and using them in the right way. And this, and that seems like a way to massively increase capacity. These things and then, and and I don't know as much about writing its own code. That seems like a harder problem. But it also it does. It no longer seems like far fetched or intractable. Yeah. No. Well, it, right. so there's
1: yeah. Like neural network models aren't really code in the traditional sense, right? Like they're just they're right. just like these sets of weights that have been trained up. But like it can certainly learn how to. Train on a, a, a model, and how to select the the training data, and how to like integrate that into a you know hook, hook multiple models up together. Like all that is like pretty tractable for this thing to probably learn how to do, or for, for a, a model like a large, necessarily a large language model, but a large neural network model to learn how to do. Um, and but like you talked about writing code, like like it can like once it learns how to write code, it can absolutely build its own tools. Right, it can it can build like a just uh-huh. a, a a piece of code that just like does you know, you know d- d- you know you can write a sorting algorithm like so, and then it could just immediately like take a bunch of stuff and sort it right away without having to like you know reason through it itself. Um, it could
0: um, uh, well. There's tools that are neural networks, but there's all you say a neural network is not written in you know a Traditional, you know, like a traditional piece of software, or whatever, but it could be isomorphic, right? Like this thing could say, "Okay, I behave." The- it could figure out how to write, in you know, code that still functions in the same way as a giant um, neural network, right?
1: But, uh, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Or better, or
1: something. Like, I don't know. I mean, you can not know, write like, code to accomplish a, like, particular... T- but, like, I just don't know if, um... The... I mean, at some level, I think this thing has to be a... a for, for the level of sort of, like, abstraction and, um and just sort of like compression of like image representation that it does. I, th- I think at some level, it's some of what's like most of what it's doing. is still going to have to be fundamentally an artificial neural network.
0: Okay. So I'll, I'll go ahead and make this argument. Although I know I'm like not on super strong footing here, but yeah, you know, when I was in grad school for cognitive science, there, there are people that had, would have different um, models for how the brain functioned and different, like you could model, like you can model, um, you can use Bayesian models, for example. Like, Bayesian models are, are like, a much higher-level description that can encapsulate a lot of the function and logic of what... Uh, of, of a particular aspect of cognition that could be capturing the function of millions of neurons, right? Like, you could, you could maybe express that sure. with, with, Bayesian, with Bayesian functionality, right? So it could be the case where you'd say, oh, okay, well, this part of my brain, like, if it were possible, I could just swap out a bunch of the neurons for a Bayesian operator or whatever, but some Bayesian algorithm, and bam, I've saved a ton of computation because now I don't have to do all those floating points. Yeah.
1: yeah, that I can say. Computations see. or whatever, right? I mean, my understanding is right. that a Bayesian model is somewhat similar to a single-layer neural network. So, like, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, you could kind of re- it could replace, like, some, like a, a sliver of its processing with that. Um, or what would probably be easier so, is to just like sort of learn that the, if there's this part of your brain that works in that certain way. You build that for it, and then you just train up a new model with that as an input, and so, and then it it doesn't need to duplicate that logic in the main part of its neural network structure. Right.
0: Because my assumption, I mean, the brain has to do everything with neurons. Like that's, that's a constraint, right? Yes. But if we knew enough about what different parts of the brain were doing, we probably could... Replace neurons with whatever chips or something like that that like oh you yeah know, are functionally analogous or or equivalent and so that's what that's what I'm imagining this thing doing yeah co- it'll like have a math coprocessor, co- it, like,
1: right like it'll have a it'll it'll have yeah, yeah multiple little pieces that are doing very specific things
0: so if GPT five were capable of building GPT six on its own well, I'm not saying it would be. Um, it, it may, I it, it mean, it may, it, it almost, to me, it kind of almost certainly seems a case that it would just dispense with a bunch of the neural network architecture that it, if, if it could determine, if it could reverse engineer itself and be like, oh, okay, well, this chunk of my architecture is doing this, and this can be done without, in another way with a different type of architecture, I'm just going to go ahead and replace that, right? So, I could see stuff like that, right? Um and not all of that, and and the the math, the the code that represents like a Bayesian algorithm that that does some whole giant chunk of things that a a million neurons might do could just be a few lines of code, right? Yep. Like the thing could be way more uh, compact. So anyway, I don't know. That's conjecture, but it doesn't sound, that doesn't sound implausible to me. So anyway. Uh, we're getting close to maybe a, maybe a time limit for a hard stop. So maybe we should wrap things up. I did, we didn't really talk about are we all going to die uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, but, we did touch uh, on just sort of like the
1: uncertainty of, you know, how yeah. these things work, how fast they're going to be able to be trained right, and right. That, and sort of, yeah. We didn't come up with like sort of like tangible ways that it could destroy us all. But like, I yeah, I think we just sort of did identify the like, these things are already really powerful. They're probably going to get more and more powerful. And there is currently no governor on this thing, right? Like, it's just, like, they're they're getting oh. stronger and stronger. There's massive um, financial incentive to make them more powerful, to plug them into more things, to give them more capacity. And so far, there's, there's, there's at least the beginning of discussions of having, like, rules in place to keep an eye on them. But... Um, <clears throat> Not a whole lot uh, like, tangible. We're all over the place yet. on that.
0: Internationally, there's no consensus on that. I think Britain and EU are more on the cautious side from things I've read. And the news, I believe Japan and India are on the more kind of laissez-faire, who, we don't need to regulate yep. anything kind of thing. China has said that they're they recognize the dangers and are interested in regulating, but I don't know. We have a great reason to trust them saying that. Uh, necessary. They have been good about genetic engineering, I believe. Who knows what kind of stuff could be going on in secret. But, um, yeah, that's what I was hinting at earlier when I was saying, uh, I don't, I have a lot of uncertainty about the technology, but I have a fair amount of certainty about human nature and and the context in which these things are being developed and the under, uh, the overarching goals and the overarching drives for the context in which they're being built, and that's that's an increase in economic power and and military power, and that's that doesn't bode well for safety or caution. So, yeah, we can do a deeper dive on that. I would like to have uh, I have another co-host, uh, Jack McCaffrey, that I'm hoping can join us for um, some of these podcasts, and um, maybe he'll join us. We can do another one, m- maybe more focused specifically on AI risk. Um, and or other topics. Uh yeah, if I was hoping this podcast in general we touch upon not just is not just AI, of course, but uh, uh lots of different um intellectual areas that interest us and that we know at least something about. So anyway, um we'll go ahead and wrap it up if that's all right. Uh do you have any parting thoughts or now that sounds good. All right, cool. Well anyway, if anybody made all the way to the end of this, <laughs> thanks for listening. Um,